All right, it's great to see everybody here for Labor Day worship. It's good to have you. And I want to welcome everyone who's joining us online as well. Thanks for being with us. Grab a Bible this morning and go to the Gospel of Matthew and find chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. And while you're turning there, under the heading, you can't over-communicate. Let me just make sure I go through three things with you real quickly. Number one, next weekend begins our new Sunday morning service schedule. And we'll move from three services to two, and the new service schedule will be 9.15 and 11 o'clock. Uh, we've got some great overflow spaces here on the campus if we need them, and I would encourage anyone who'd be willing to do that. We've got a lot of parking here at Mount Pleasant. The only problem, in a sense, is that some of it is across the street, uh, but uh, if you'd be willing to park across the street, that would be great. That would be excellent, especially if you come to the 9.15 service. Uh, so I just want to encourage you with regard to that. The second thing is... Uh, Next weekend, as you just heard, is our Room for Doubt series, and I just want to really hammer that again. Uh, really, really hope that you'll make that a priority. It'll be a five-week series. We'll kick it off with Mark Middleberg, who will be talking about the importance of making room for doubt in our lives. And then, as you just heard, we'll be answering questions that you might have related to God, the Bible, just spiritual things. And so you can go ahead and email that question at myquestion at mpccministry.com, and please, please bring family, friends, coworkers, neighbors that might be a long way from God but are at least open to talk about uh, spiritual things. Uh, listen, we as Christians, we shouldn't be afraid of people's questions and people's doubts. We shouldn't. I mean, the Bible has some great stories about some very spiritual people who went through difficult times in their lives where they themselves had doubt. And honestly, most of us probably have had that same experience in our lives as well. So we need to make room for doubt in our lives, and this is an opportunity for our faith to be strengthened and also an opportunity to really reach people who may be a long way from God. It'd be a great opportunity to, opportunity to invite your one life. And then finally, number three, uh, because I believe so strongly in these two things, the next Financial Peace University, as you just heard, and the next Le Legacy Journey classes begin on September the 15th. And I really really encourage you every time we offer these classes to put away your pride, put away your fear, whatever it is that keeps you from responding to this opportunity uh, for your financial lives to be changed, your financial future to be changed. Maybe not just for you, but for generations to come if you pass that on to your children. It's really that significant and that powerful. And there's somebody in the commons after every service today at a table there for financial freedom who can answer any questions you have about Financial Peace University and the legacy journey. All right, as we open up our Bibles to Matthew 25, we come to the final part of this passage that's commonly referred to as the Olivet Discourse. As I've told you, it's Jesus' second longest recorded sermon and the longest answer he ever gave to a question. The question was asked by the disciples, and it was a question related to his second coming. And so in Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 4, and all the way through Matthew chapter 25, Jesus talks about three things. He begins by giving us six signs that will precede his coming. And then he talks about what life in this world is going to be like before he comes. And then finally, he talks about how important it is for us to be ready for his coming because his coming will be sudden. In fact, the Bible tells us that no one, everyone say no one, no one apart from God the Father knows the day or the hour of Jesus' return. And so, we need to make sure we're ready. And that's the emphasis of the last, of the last part of this passage. And in fact, last week, we looked at the parable of the talents, and we talked about how important it is to make sure that we're ready by not wasting the different opportunities, resources, and talents that God entrusts to us. 
And this morning, we're going to talk about making sure we're ready by demonstrating the reality of our faith in a very specific way. And so, having said that, you've got your Bibles open there to Matthew 25. Go ahead and stand with me for the reading of the Scripture. I gave you just enough time to feel comfortable sitting down. And now I'm going to ask you to stand. If you're able, if you're not able, then don't feel bad about that. I'm going to begin reading in verse 31 of Matthew 25, and I'm going to read to the end of the chapter. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes. And you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And they will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. All right, there it is. You can be seated. We always ask for God to bless <coughs> the reading and the hearing of his word. We could get bogged down this morning as we look at this passage in context. We could spend a lot of time talking about whether or not this is a parable. We could spend a lot of time talking about if we should, whether or not we should view this through the lens of the different beliefs that people have with regard to end time prophecy. But I don't want to do any of those things because I don't want to miss the simple truths that Jesus has for us in this passage. And so let's just dive right into these words. Jesus begins by talking about a time when he's going to come with his angels in glory, and he's going to be seated on his throne in heavenly glory. Remember, this is the Olivet Discourse. It's Jesus talking about his second coming. And as he's seating, seated on his throne, he's going to use his authority to separate People Again, this is how he described it. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. That word for nations that Jesus uses there in the original language is the Greek word ethnos, and it has the basic meaning of every person alive on earth when Jesus returns. And so that's the picture. That's the incredible picture that he is painting for us. And he goes on to describe this picture of a shepherd separating the sheep from the goats, placing the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. He calls the sheep on his right blessed and the goats on his left cursed. That means the sheep will, who are blessed will inherit eternal life, the kingdom, and the goats who are cursed will inherit eternal fire, which is representative of eternal separation from God. And the only difference that he tells us between the two, the only difference in this text that he tells us between the two 
is the way they noticed and responded to people in need. That's the only difference. The specific things he mentions are giving food to the hungry, drink to the thirsty, inviting strangers into your home, giving clothes to those in need of clothing, visiting those who are sick, and visiting those who are in prison. And so, you read this text and you have to come away with the conclusion that the blessing of eternal life comes to those who notice and respond to people in need. But that creates one really big question that we need to answer before we go any further in the text. And that question is this. Is Jesus teaching us in this passage that salvation is the result of works, our good works? Well, I need participation. Everyone say no, no, absolutely not. He's not teaching us that salvation is the result of our works, and we know that for two very specific reasons. The first reason is this. The Bible clearly teaches us that we are saved by God's grace that is received into our lives through our faith. We're saved by grace through faith. And here's the deal. The Bible doesn't contradict itself. Regardless of what critics of the Bible want to say, the Bible doesn't contradict itself. We are saved, the Bible clearly teaches us, by grace through faith. And the classic passage, the classic proof text of that is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, which is a passage we talked about last week. Paul writes and says, For it is by grace, everyone say grace, grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And then he goes on to say, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He says, You're saved by grace through faith. No one is saved by human effort. No one is saved by their works. Salvation happens when we come to the end of ourselves, or in other words, when we come to the end of our own efforts to try to be good enough for God, and we cry out to God for His love and His mercy and His grace. That's how people are saved. The word grace in the New Testament is the word charis in the original language, the Greek word charis, and it literally describes God's unmerited favor. God's grace is His merciful and His loving kindness. It's something that we could never earn and no matter what we do, would never ever deserve. The Bible says clearly that we're saved by grace through faith. That's the first reason why we know Jesus is not teaching that salvation is the result of our works. The second reason is this. The Bible clearly teaches us, and this is a great proof text for that, the Bible clearly teaches us that our works, again, I'm talking about our good works, are not the cause of our salvation. They are the result of our salvation. They are not the cause of our salvation. Our good works should be the effect of our salvation. And I go back to the very last verse in that passage we looked at just a moment ago, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. This time, read it with me. Let me hear your voices. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Once we receive the grace of God which leads to the forgiveness of our sin and the promise of eternal life, once we receive the grace of God that leads to our salvation, then as a result, we should do good works. Our lives should reflect good works Good works that reflect the love and the mercy and the grace of God. And so, the fundamental message of Jesus' words here in our text about the sheep and the goats is that people who are genuine followers of Christ will love and care for others. They will notice people in need 
And when they notice people in need, they will treat them with kindness and they will serve them in the same way that they would serve Jesus himself. That's the fundamental message of the passage. Now, having said that, let's talk about some practical truths that we need to take away from this passage. And the first thing I would just simply say is this. We need to understand, this is one of the main points, but we need to understand right from the beginning that Jesus isn't asking us to do the impossible here. When he's painting this picture of genuine followers of Christ being people who will notice and respond to people in need, he's not asking us to do something impossible. And I say that because... I spent my whole life as a pastor in three different churches listening to Christians tell me that they can't do certain things that God asked them to do. And we talk about sharing our faith, for example, having spiritual conversations with other people about Jesus, the difference Jesus has made in our life. And I can't tell how many people that I have met say, Pastor, I can't do that. Maybe some other believer can do that, but I can't do that. I'm just, I'm just too, I'm too shy. I'm not outgoing. I don't feel like I know enough. I just can't, reason after reason why I can't do that. Or different acts of service. I can't do that. That's just not me. Being a good steward of all that God has entrusted us. I can't do that. That's just not me. Well, with this passage of Scripture, what Jesus is asking us to do is something that anyone can do. There are no exceptions and no exclusions. There's no one in the world who can't notice and respond to someone who is in need doesn't matter who you are. I don't care if you were someone who was born and raised in a Christian home your entire life or if you're someone who is brand new to the Christian faith. I don't care whether you're young. I don't care whether you're old. I don't care whether you're somewhere in between. I don't care if you're someone who looks at their life and says, I have a little from God or someone who looks at your life and says, I have a lot from God. There is no one who can't respond to someone in need, who can't notice and respond to someone who is in need. And that's the crux of what this passage is teaching us. This is something that all of us can do. And so let's talk about three really practical truths to understand that can help with that. The first one is this. If you'd like to take notes, write down next to number one. Open your eyes to the opportunities around you. Open your eyes to the opportunities around you. And I go back to verses 34 through 36. <clears throat> then the king will say to those on his right, these are the sheep. Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Now, basically, if we were to summarize those three verses with a single sentence, we could say this, Jesus emphasizes that we need to be willing to serve people whenever and wherever we can, whenever and wherever we can. You notice the first thing that he talks about specifically is, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I'm sure that there's nobody here this morning who doesn't understand or nobody listening to us online this morning who doesn't understand that there's a huge global hunger problem in our world today. 
I was doing a little bit of research with an organization called Action Against Hunger. It's just a nonprofit, non-government organization that's dedicated solely to feeding people around the world. And, and I was reading that 820 million people worldwide go hungry each year. 820 million people. That's a lot of people. Now, the reason why I bring that up is to say this. If all we did was sit around and think about what role we might be able to play individually in light of world hunger, we would be depressed and in despair, and we would feel great helplessness, right? What kind of a dent can some ordinary person like me make in world hunger when there are 820 million people worldwide who go hungry every year? But that's not the way we should look at this. Because while you and I, we can't make a dent, we can't fix the problem of world hunger for 820 million people, we need to understand that we can fix the problem of hunger for someone, for at least someone, somewhere. And that's the way we should look at this. And it's not just feeding the hungry. We all know people who have needs. We all know someone who needs some kind of help. We all know someone who is lonely. We all know someone who is sick. We all know someone who is in prison in some form or fashion. We all know someone who has a need. And what the sheep in our passage who, remember, were blessed by Jesus, what the sheep in our passage did was they showed love and kindness and compassion to someone right when the opportunity presented itself, right when the opportunity presented itself. I, I think about that. It reminds me of the story of the Good Samaritan, which I'm sure most of us are familiar with. You can read that story in Luke chapter 10. Jesus tells the story one day. Remember, somebody says, Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. He tells a story about a man who is beaten and robbed and left bleeding and dying on the side of the road. And then there are two men who pass by, Jesus says. One is a priest and one a Levite, two religious men that pass by at separate times. And both of these religious men, when they pass by and they see the man bleeding and dying on the side of the road, they go to the other side of the road and they go on by. But then a third man comes by who is a Samaritan. Samaritan would have been someone hated by the Jews, and I guarantee it was Jewish people who were listening to Jesus tell that story. And, Jew, and Jews hated Samaritans. You know why? Because they were half-breeds. They were only half-Jewish, and they were half-Gentile, and they just considered them unclean and impure. But it was the Samaritan who stopped and bandaged the man's wound. It was the Samaritan who stopped and put the man on his animal and took him to a nearby inn. It was the Samaritan who paid the innkeeper for the care that he would give this man until he got well. And it was the Samaritan, Jesus said, was a good neighbor. But do you remember what Jesus said to those listening after the parable was over? He looked at them and he said, go and do likewise. This isn't the only place in the Gospels where we read Jesus talking about the importance of noticing and responding to people in need. When you see a need, meet the need. I love our impact center on the back of our campus here. What's really sad to me is that there are probably lots and lots of people, I wouldn't even venture a guess how many, but lots and lots of people in our church who have never been inside the building. I can't remember how many years ago we built it. It was in our last building expansion, but we built this 15,000 square foot building on the back of our property here to clothe our food and our clothing ministry. It's incredible. You walk in the main door and you walk into a main meeting room that's uh, equipped to hold several people, a lot of people. On the left, you have a place where people shop for food. On the right, you have a place where people shop for clothes. It's like a thrift store. And in the back, it's, there, it's a big warehouse area to service both of those ministries. And every Thursday and every Saturday around here are called Impact Thursday and Impact Saturday. 
And we have four services that people can attend. They can go Thursday morning, Thursday afternoon, Thursday evening, or they can go Saturday morning. And, and really what happens is they go and they experience church for about 30 minutes. I always call it a different kind of church, but it's church. They experience church for about 30 minutes. You know, I told you a long time ago that I really believe we live in a day and age where there's no set model of what a church looks like. Church has changed so dramatically over the last 40 years. And uh, if you want to try to define what church looks like, then I open my Bible up to the book of Acts, and I look at the very first church, which was the church in Jerusalem that started on the day of Pentecost. And in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, that church is described like this. And that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Those four things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, community with each other, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And I guarantee you, in all four services on Impact Thursday and Impact Saturday, those are the four things that happen out there, all four of those things. I was out there this last Thursday. I tried to go out there at least one of the services on Thursday, and I stood in the doorway uh, between the meeting room uh, that was packed, almost standing room only with people and the clothing ministry, and I listened to Jared Baer, who is our student ministry worship pastor, leading the worship time, and I listened to all the people lifting their voices, singing, How Great Thou Art. Isn't that a great hymn? How great they are at. Everybody's favorite. And it was very moving. And then our impact pastor, Steve Saunders, got up and he preached a message to the people there about how we need to see other people the same way Jesus does. And he used that great passage in Matthew chapter 9 where he talks about Jesus traveled through all the villages and all the towns. And when he looked out the people, it says in Matthew chapter 9, I think it's about verse 35 or 36, it says he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he delivered this great message about how we need to see other people in the same way Jesus does. Pretty incredible. Pretty incredible. You know, people come from all over the country to visit our impact center to see what we're doing so that they can figure out how they can go home and replicate it in their own churches. Some of them have come multiple times from different churches around the country to visit our impact center. Because you know why? Some way, sometimes the very best way to have the opportunity to make a spiritual impact in somebody's life is by being willing to make a physical impact in their life first. To meet them right at the point of their, what am I going to say, need. Right at the point of their need. And that opens the door to great ministry. And i got to believe that's the heart of Jesus as he talks about this reality. And so we need to open our eyes to the opportunities around us. Right down next to number two, if you're someone who likes to take notes, the second thing that we can take from this, don't worry about whether or not anyone notices. <clears throat> when Jesus blessed the sheep in verses 34 through 36, they responded in verse 37 through 39 with a question, and the question can be summarized with a single word, and that word was when. When, Jesus, did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or, or uh, in need of clothing and clothe you, and on and on with the things that he talked about. And in verse 40, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. So it's obvious that these sheep, these people who were, in the, who were in the category of sheep, didn't know, they didn't know they were scoring points in heaven, so to speak, by helping people in need. And the reason why they didn't know is because their motives were pure, their hearts were pure. As far as they were concerned, they were just responding with compassion to whatever need they encountered. They didn't ask for a receipt. They didn't try to document their good deeds somehow. They just helped people who needed help. You know, there are times in life, there are <clears throat> rare times in life when, 
We might do something good for someone, and it might come back to benefit us somehow. I remember years ago reading a story, I think it was in Reader's Digest, about a man who was just walking down the sidewalk, minding his own business one day, and he saw a woman's car stuck in the snow, and so he just shouted that he would give her a push and got behind the car and just began to push it and rock it until the tires got enough traction to drive away. And the woman never got out of the car. She just rolled her window down and looked at him and waved and went on her own way. And nine times out of ten, with a story like that, that would be the end of it. But not for this guy. A few months later, he went to his local bank where he had been banking his entire adult life, and he needed to get a loan. And he was taken into the office of the newly hired manager, and it just so happened to be the woman who he helped get out of the snow, and she remembered him. He didn't know who she was, but she remembered him, and guess what? He got the loan. (laughs) Now, he didn't help her get her car unstuck so that one day she might loan him money or facilitate money. He did it because that's the person that he was, and the point Jesus is making here is the kind of people that he identifies as sheep in the story help people because it's in their hearts to help people. It's in their hearts. There's no ulterior motive. They just notice a need and they move to meet the need because they love and care about people the same way Jesus does. You don't have to worry about whether or not anyone notices because the, the other point that we see clearly in the story is that there is always someone who notices. And who is that someone? It's Jesus. Write down this third thing real quickly. Don't leave anyone out. Well, in contrast to the sheep, look back with me at verses 44 and 45. Jesus kind of just made the opposite statements to those who were the goats who were cursed about the fact that, you know, he was hungry and they gave him nothing to eat, thirsty and they gave him nothing to drink, stranger, they didn't invite him in and so on. And in verse 44, they begin by saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Now, in the context of this conversation now between the king and the goats, the implication is from the goats, if we would have known it was you, we would have helped That's the clear implication. But Jesus again says, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And that, I think, presents us with a great question to consider. Who do we consider to be the least of these? I mean, how would you answer that question? If I said to you, in your mind, in the context of this story, who are the least of these? How do you think you would answer that question. And I guess really, if I'm going to be honest, what I'm really asking you is, would you place any restrictions on who you helped, on who you considered to be the least of these? It's easy to feed people who are hungry, especially, let's think of it like this. It's easy to feed children who are hungry. Children who are hungry would qualify as the least of these for any of us. It's easy to visit people in the hospital who have been sick at 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 no fault of their own. You know, this is just one of the sad, tragic realities of living life in a sinful, fallen world. Sometimes we get sick. Sometimes uh, the curse of sin, the way it plays out in this, this fallen world is people get sick. Innocent people get sick. They wake up one morning and their life is changed forever because of a diagnosis. That's just the reality. It's easy to qualify people like that as the least of these. 
It's easy to look at someone and you know that if you stop to help them, that they're going to respond in a positive way and they're going to do everything they can to never find themselves in that position again. You know that's just the kind of heart they have. They're that kind of responsible person. It's easy for those people to fall into the category of the least of these for all of us. But what about someone who's in a bad way because they've made bad choices? Who's only in the situation they're in today because of their disobedience or their sin or their rebelliousness? What about somebody who's a different race? What about someone whose politics you don't agree with? Because let's face it, friends, we live in a day and age where politics are sharp dividers of people. What about people whose lifestyles are so dramatically different from yours that you can't even imagine what their life is like? And we could go on and on. I think we all understand that we live in a world that is filled with need and our lives as Christians are supposed to reflect the love and the compassion of Jesus. And when you look at Jesus in the Gospels, he didn't exclude anyone. Did Jesus have some hard conversations with people? <laughs> he absolutely did. He had hard conversations sometimes with people that were closest to him. Remember what he said to Peter one day? He said, get behind me, Satan. Did Jesus sometimes let people walk away? He absolutely did. But Jesus didn't exclude anyone. In fact, the, the main reason why Jesus, or one of the main reasons why Jesus was always at odds with the religious leaders is because he spent time caring for people that they had written off a long time ago. But we're not to exclude anyone. See, the overwhelming message of the text, and the, the team can come and prepare to lead us in a final song of worship. The overwhelming message of the text is that someone who is a genuine follower of Jesus will share love and compassion for others. Remember, because the Bible teaches us that our good works don't result in our salvation. Our good works are the result of our salvation. They're the effect of our salvation. And so as Christians, if we are genuine followers of Christ, we need to be involved in the good works of noticing and caring for people who are in need. And one of the reasons why that should be, at least on some level, easy for you and me as believers is because it should be easy for us to share love and compassion for people in need because Jesus shared love and compassion for us in the midst of our deepest need. At least I hope that describes every one of us today. And if you're here this morning and you've never ever, or you're listening to me online, you've never ever experienced the love and the compassion that Jesus offers, the grace that Jesus offers that results in the forgiveness of sin and a right relationship with God, then why wouldn't you do that today? Why wouldn't you at least take a step toward understanding more about what that looks like today? Uh, that's one thing that I want to say as we close. The other thing I want to say is this. I, I don't feel like I can preach this passage of Scripture without issuing a challenge. And so I, I'm just going to issue the challenge. I've done it in the first two services of the weekend, and I'm going to issue it to all of you and all of you listening online. I'll do it at 1130. I'm going to challenge everyone to this week, this week, so it starts as soon as you walk out the door today, okay? Well, unless you see somebody on the way out, uh, to notice 
and help somebody in need this week. It doesn't have to be in a really big, elaborate way, just some way. That's my challenge for everyone, to notice and help someone in need. And here's the deal. This is the little kind of odd nuance. I want to hear about it. I want, I want to know about it. And not, not because I want to celebrate you or because I don't want I give you a chance to, to boast or get, you get a pat on the back. Because I want to use this for something that I'm writing down the road. And so if you would be willing to do that, if you'd be willing to accept the challenge and make it your goal this week, beginning this week, to notice somebody in need and to help them, I'd love it if you would t- send me a little story about it. It can be as short or as long as you want. You can send it to this email address, inquiry at mpccministry.com, and then just put my name, Pastor Chris, in the subject line. And uh, I'd like to compile those stories and just hear about that. Listen, if you're a genuine follower of Christ, if I'm a genuine follower of Christ, then my life, your life should be characterized by noticing and responding to people in need. And regardless who they, of who they are, regardless of how different they may be from you and from me, we serve them in the same way that we would serve Jesus. That's what we need to embrace this morning. Pray with me. Father, thank you for a chance to open up our Bibles and study them together today. I know there's so much more about this text that can get uh, a little complicated in a 30, 35 minute time span as far as um, the way it can be viewed through the lens of biblical prophecy, but there's no ignoring the simplicity of the message on the most practical level. And so help us to be people who demonstrate the reality of our faith, the reality of our salvation by caring for people in need, by noticing and responding to people in need and serving them regardless of who they are in the very same way that we would serve Jesus. I pray that in his name. Amen.